Good, good. I'm, uh, as I always say, I'm excited about today. Um, today we're going to talk about, uh, so this is going to seem odd, but just hang in there with me because the title of today's message is, what does it mean to be blessed? And I've got that in quotations because we're going to, we're going to define what that means later today. But today we're going to talk about patience. We're going to talk about endurance. We're going to talk about being blessed by God. And, and we'll get to all that in a moment, but I want to start today by saying what a blessing it is. We'll define what that what I mean by that later. But what a blessing it is to get to join in worship with you all today. Uh, I get so excited about this time together every week. Um, as some of you guys may know, um, Brittany, Abel, Elijah, and Ari Meek were in town this week for a wedding, and a few of us got to spend just a brief amount of time with them. And I also have talked to Russ on the phone a few times this week. Uh, and they all shared how much they miss our body. They miss this experience together. Without getting too far off track uh, and sharing a lot of details, suffice it to say that it's been difficult for them since they moved to Idaho for a lot of different reasons. Um, but Russ told me re- Wednesday about some, some specific things that recently they've gone through. And we've talked about these before, he and I. Um, but as I spent time with God, that was on Wednesday morning. And Wednesday through today... And God has spoken directly into their situation each time. And so I've been able to send him some encouragement. And I've been so encouraged because they're going through something that's really, really difficult. Um, and I love that today that the testimonies that were shared and, and what Leah has, has spoken towards this morning is all of us, and we'll talk about this in just a second, all of us have experienced hardship. Um, one of the ways that God spoke specifically about this situation that Russ and Brittany are going through was through Carrie. This week, Wednesday night, um, Carrie and I often will kind of steal away for a moment either during, uh, during Wednesday night activities when the kids are all occupied with other adults or while we're setting up. He and I will kind of talk about what I call elder things. Like people come in and we'll stop talking. They're like, oh, sorry, are you talking about me? Like, no, we're doing some elder stuff. So anyway, but I'm sharing this story with Carrie. Um, and Carrie says, man, let, let me send you a passage that I read this morning that, that speaks directly to that. And I want to start with that this morning because I feel like it's a perfect intro into what James is going to talk about here in the middle of chapter 5. But look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the suffering of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. If you're ridiculed in the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the, name, for the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what, the, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to, God, according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So we're going to start pretty heavy today, and my hope is that by the end we're going to get a little higher, okay? But I I love that God is kind of putting this all in place for us this morning. None of us are are strangers to hardship. Nobody in this room has has not been through a hardship in their life, right? We can all agree that sometimes life 
is difficult. And we could fill this time this morning and probably a lot more time with the stories of difficulties that we've had over the course of our lives. Probably we could fill this time this morning with stories of difficulties of just what's happened this week. Over the last few months, we've been talking about what it means to have true faith. And a big part of true faith is that when we're going through those difficulties, we don't pretend like everything's okay. We're honest with the people around us and we share what God's doing in the midst of those difficulties. I want to commend Maggie. I waited until she came back in the room because her testimony this morning is of her living her life as she's obedient to God in front of a friend who doesn't know the Lord. And that person's understanding of who God is has changed because of the way Maggie has spoken about what God's doing in her life. That's the point. That's the goal, is for us to learn more about God and to share that with other people. And it happens through normal, everyday conversations about how I bought this house and how that came to be and how the details worked out and how God was in that. That is our goal. We can find comfort in knowing that we are not the only ones who have ever experienced difficulty. First Peter addresses that. We're going to see some more examples today in Scripture of believers who are walking in obedience, struggling with life. Last week, James called out the rich and their lack of care for those in need. And as we learned, all of us struggle at some point in our life, maybe over the course of our lives, with protecting our possessions, right? We want to gather up the things that are ours and keep people away from them. There's this false idea in our American Christian culture that having more stuff will make the things that Peter's describing easier to deal with, right? That if life is really stressful, if you have some, some of these perks over here, that that's going to offset the difficulty over there. We've all kind of bought into that over the course of our lives. And what we're going to see today in Scripture is that that is not the truth. What we learned last week is that by pursuing more of those things that we are convinced will make life better, all that really does is give us more anxiety, right? Because we're so worried about getting the things so we don't feel the way we feel that now we feel the way we feel about this, about the things we're trying to get over here. And it's a cycle that we have to break. And the only way to do that is for us to learn to trust not in our wealth, not in our possessions, but in God. Money's temporary and an obsession with that is only going to cause us to miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. I want to remind us that our goal as a gathering place people is to know God more progressively every day. That's how we also develop true faith, is learning more about who God is. But here's the deal, is if, if we don't allow God to change our hearts so that we're motivated by His grace, if we don't allow God to change our hearts so that we're not more motivated by His grace than we are by our possessions, we're going to miss out. Our motivation should always be the grace of God, not the things that we can get from God or from the world. You know what the problem is? You know why we all struggle with this? We struggle because life is hard. We struggle because we bought into a lie that more possessions are going to make our life easier. Like, I, I've, I've bought into that lie. Like, I, I love home automation stuff, okay? I'm going to just speak a little word here. I, we got a Google Home Mini in every room in our house, and I love being able to say, hey, Google, turn the lights off, and all the lights going off, Okay? I see somebody over there patting Mike, okay, his daughter. Here, here's the thing, though. I, 
Bethany could probably testify that she would probably spend an hour telling you how frustrated she has been with me with my home automation stuff because I have boxes of gear on the shelf in my house that I cannot make work. And I have spent more time trying to make this stuff work and I could have just walked over and flipped the light switch. Do you realize how ignorant that is? Okay, we got some testimony coming. But, but here's the thing, it's fun. It, okay, we can all laugh at Mike's expense and my expense, but here's the thing is, we, we do that church in our own lives. We spend so much time over on this side trying to get something that we think is going to make our life easier when the answer the whole time has been over here, right David? We're avoiding the thing that could make life easier. So what's the solution? James is going to deal with this. He's going to talk today about our hardships. Look with me at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, Take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. First, I want you to notice the tone difference from last week to this week. Last week, he started out that section on chastising the rich by saying, come here now. And today he's saying, brothers and sisters, be patient, endure. He asked him to do those two things, to be patient and to endure. Now let me say this. I know that if you're in the middle of something difficult, being told to be patient and to endure while you're standing in the middle of that difficulty is akin to telling a wife who is upset that she needs to calm down. If you've not made that mistake, please don't. It will not go well. James gives us three examples of what it means to be patient and to endure. And the first is that of, the, a farm, of a farmer. In the event that you've never grown a garden, let me give you a glimpse into that. If you've ever planted a tomato plant, I'm here to tell you that there is nothing in the world that takes longer than waiting from a seedling tomato plant to get to the point where it's producing mature fruit. Okay, because here's how that process goes. You, you plant the plant. Debbie can speak to this as well. You plant the plant and you water it and then you weed it and then you pace and you come back and you weed it some more and you water it and then you wait and then you come back and you try to convince the plant not to die because it's trying to and you weed it and you water it and you wait and then you pull the pest off of it and then you prune it and then you wait and then you wait and finally you get like three good tomatoes off of it and the thing dies that's that's my experience with gardening unlike a farmer we have the opportunity if it needs water we can just give it water but if you're thinking in terms of a farmer, like a farmer like we experience today, a farmer that lived back in the days when James wrote this, there was no water hoses. There was very little irrigation. And they are, the farmers today, just like those, are literally waiting on the Lord to provide the rain, the right amount, at the right time. Sometimes it comes when they need it. Sometimes it comes when they don't need it. But they have no control over the matter. And that's how it is for us in life. The same is true of the things that we struggle with in life. 
Sometimes those things come when we have time to deal with it. But most of the time, those struggles come when we don't have time to deal with it. And it feels like everything is just getting heaped onto us. We want things to be different, but we often, just like the farmer, feel powerless that we can do anything about it. It's just happening to us. So what does James say that we're to do? He says, be patient, be endure, and strengthen your hearts. And I'm going to talk about strengthening our hearts a little bit later in the message today. But look what he goes on to say in verse 9. He says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Now, the text doesn't call this out exclusively, but we have to assume that James is talking about the, the rich people that he addressed in the previous section because he's saying, therefore, brothers and sisters. So he's tying those two things together. And he's saying, I know that life is difficult, and a big part of that is because these other people over here are not doing what they're supposed to do. But don't judge them. Don't go talking about them behind their back. It's not going to fix the problem. This is a hard thing to do. And so James is, is getting into some deep-hearted stuff here. He's reminding the church of something that Jesus taught a lot. Look at me. Look with me at, at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. Jesus says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at a splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? I love the imagery of that passage. It's so easy for us to look at other people, particularly people who have wronged us or made your life difficult, and judge them. And to say, well, if they didn't do those things, I wouldn't be dealing with what I'm dealing here. And Jesus is saying, before you go over there and point out the things that they're doing that are wrong, how about taking a look at your own life? In fact, they may be completely wrong in their actions, yet Jesus does not say that it is okay to judge them. Jesus says, quit focusing on the speck in your brother's eye and deal with the beam in your own eye. By beam, he's talking about stuff like this, Okay? just so you have a size reference. We've talked about this before. When we're wronged, we want to get angry. We want to feel justified in our anger. And sometimes our anger is justified. But what Jesus is saying is that even though you have been wronged, you also are wrong. We all stand in the same place. All of us are sinners. All of us are guilty of something. But what we want to do is to look at someone else's sin and put the focus on that and say, the problem with my life is them. It's this thing. And Jesus is saying, yes, that may be a small part of it, but there's a whole lot more going on in your life that we need to work on before we worry about that thing over there. Matter of fact, I'll take care of that thing over there. Don't worry about it. James says to be patient because the judge is at the door. God sees what's going on in our life. When people are making it difficult, He is not blind to that. But it doesn't do us any good and it doesn't do them any good to compare our sins because at the end of the day, sin is sin and all of it separates us from God. He goes on to say in, in verse 10, Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. James is reminding the church of all those that have come before him, all of the prophets who suffered in their service to God. I don't know if you know this or not, but being a prophet was not a popular job. 
Because typically being a prophet, speaking to a nation who is purposely being disobedient to God, does not raise your stature, right? We see that in Scripture. And so James is saying, look, if life is hard, don't be surprised. we got test- thousands of years of testimony of people who are following God whose life became more difficult, not less difficult. Jesus warned us that it wouldn't be easy. So don't be surprised if your life is not carefree. Jesus says, and it's recorded in Mark chapter 13, verse 13, you will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. James spoke to this earlier in this, in this letter in chapter 1, verse 12. He said, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James wasn't the only person to address this issue either. Look at what Paul says to the church in Corinth regarding how the apostles were treated by the world. Paul says, For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we were dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. This is Paul saying, this is how the world sees me. This is how the world sees the other apostles. I don't know about you, but to my eyes, this does not line up with what American culture calls Christianity. Because if we look at at the national image that is portrayed as to what Christian life looks like, that ain't it. The Christian life looks like two and a half kids, two car garage, and a nice home in a suburb somewhere, right? That's what we're sold We're sold that if you are hashtag blessed, all of your needs are taken care of, you're well-liked, your kids are well-behaved, everything in life works the way it's supposed to. I don't know about you, but that's not been my experience. I got a little more than two and a half kids, twice as much. Culture says that if we give our lives to Christ, if we go to church, if we promote moral living, We'll be blessed. We'll have what we want. Life will be stress-free. Hashtag too blessed to be stressed. Look at James 5.11 because James says the exact opposite of what our Christian culture says. James says, see, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Wait, wait, hold on. He says... We count as blessed those who have endured like Job? Those who have endured like Job, those are the blessed ones? Because I remember Job's story. Do you remember Job's story? Job had a good life. He had wife, children, lots of livestock. He was a wealthy guy. And all of it was taken away. I heard a comedian say that Job took, the devil took everything from Job except his wife. That's saying something. Leah gets it, okay. 
There you go. Y'all are catching up. If culture says that being blessed means we have all of the things that we want, but James is saying that being enduring like Job when he lost everything is being blessed, what does it mean to be blessed? What was Job's outcome? Look at verse, uh, chapter 42, verse 10 through 13. It says, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. I want to remind you of Job's three friends. The ones that spoke against God and against Job. They tried to convince Job that he was the reason that he had done something wrong to cause God to take all of that away from him. The ones that God calls into correction at the end of the book and tells Job's friends to go and apologize to Job and to offer sacrifices for him. James isn't saying that if we endure, God will bless us financially. He's referring to this very specific instance where these men were speaking ill of Job. God tells Job to pray for them, to forgive them, and then God blesses him for doing what he said. Here's what I want you to hear, church, that blessing comes from obedience. Job was blessed because he did what God told him to do. And we have to be very careful and pay close attention with me. Are y'all still here with me? Because if you turn your brains off right here, you're going to walk away going, if I do what God says, I'm going to have a thousand donkeys. That may seem appealing to you. I don't know. Hang in here with me. What does Scripture mean by being blessed? I want us to look at a couple of theological workbooks for just a moment, and I want us to define what it means scripturally to be blessed. The Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology says blessedness, a condition or state of being in God's grace or favor. The Bible contains the word blessed, blessing, and blessed, but not the noun blessedness. Although the idea of a spiritual state of beatitude in which believers enjoy God's fellowship permeates the Bible. Okay, so it's God's favor and God's fellowship. And then the Holman Treasury of, of key Bible where it says makarios, which is Greek, was frequently used in Greek literature, the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the New Testament to describe the kind of happiness that comes from receiving divine favor. So we see two things, two ways that, that God blesses us. It's his favor and his presence. What did Jesus say about blessing? Let's look at that for a moment. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 27 to 28, and then we're going to look at John 13, 12 through 20. And Luke, he says, as they were saying these things, we've read this before, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the one that nursed you. And he said, Jesus says, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Again, the blessing comes after what? Obedience. John chapter 13, verse 12 through 20. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats the bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me, him who sent me. Again, you see, receiving a blessing comes by doing what God has commanded or has shown you to do. It's vital for us to pay close attention to the example, the whole example that Jesus gives, that he sets for us. Jesus did not wash their feet to gain favor in their eyes. He did not wash their feet to gain favor in his father's eyes. He already had it. He washed their feet as an act of loving service and to communicate the kind of love that God has for his people. Jesus is showing that in order to be blessed, you must do as he does. He loved sacrificially to the point of humiliation and death. His pride played no role in his degree of love towards others. And what I mean by that is he was not so prideful that he would not serve the people around him. I was reading this week a, a message by Charles Spurgeon. Um, and, and it was about blessing, and or it's called Daily Blessing for God's People. And, and Spurgeon said this, But God's goodness is not merely benevolence, which is Latin meaning well-wishing, in which He wishes us well, but He is beneficence or good-doing. His gifts and benefits are deeds of goodness, acts of goodness. He doth us which is good, I'll say it in our language, He does not only wish us well and speak to us well and direct us well, but he does well unto us. He does not only say, I pity thy lost estate, but he delivers the lost out of their ruin. Here's what he's saying. God does not simply wish us well. He does good to us and for us. He doesn't say, I'm sorry that you're hungry. I'll pray for you. He says, I'm sorry that you're hungry. Let me get some food for you. So what does it mean to be blessed? It means that because of God's grace, we enjoy His presence and favor and we live sacrificially towards others out of the love that we experience from God. We talked a lot about this during our Ecclesiastes study, but the world is broken. And as a result of living in a fallen world, stricken with sin, we have to deal with hardships on a regular basis. God is aware, and as we endure those hardships, as we learn to be patient with others, God is working on our behalf. We are not forgotten. This morning, God brought a story to mind while we were worshiping. Um, When I was 14 years old, I was a freshman in high school, um, I was a calf roper. And there was a family, a guy's house I went to a couple of times a week. I've told you all this before. His name was Mr. Jesse. He had a son named Joel. Joel and I, Joel was a year younger than me. And um, we were gone to this rodeo. It was like two and a half hours away. I don't remember why my parents couldn't be there. But I rode with Mr. Jesse. And 
as a cowboy, you bring your horse with you, right? Everybody's tracking with that. So it's Mr. Jesse and Joel and I are competing. Our horses are with us. And we go to this rodeo two and a half hours away. And when we get there, Mr. Jesse says, we are leaving at, let's say 10 p.m. I don't remember exactly. I think that was it. Be back at the trailer and have your horse loaded at 10 p.m. Yes, sir. I'm the kind of guy, I got to be somewhere at 10 p.m. I'm going to get there at 9.55 just to be sure. Okay. So 10 p.m. rolls around. I don't know where Joel is. My saddle's off my horse. It's loaded. The horse is loaded. I'm waiting at the truck. Mr. Jesse shows up. And he says, where's Joel? I, I don't know. I can't find him. He said, get in the truck. And we left. A 14-year-old and his horse two and a half hours away. God's not going to do that to us. He doesn't leave us in our time of need, even when we mess up. That's significant. God is always with us. And He's working for our good here on earth and also for our good eternally. Look what, what um, Spurgeon goes on to say. He says, you are God's children. You are joint heirs with Christ. All things are yours and things to come. You have guaranteed to preservation to the end and you have, after the end of this life, glory without end. The many mansions are for you. The palms and harps of the glorified are for you. You have a share in all that Christ has and is and shall be. We are co-heirs. We are the sons and daughters of Christ, both now and into eternity. This is our blessing, church. We want to talk about being blessed. This is it. This is the best blessing we could ever have. Enjoying the kingdom of God here on earth and into eternity our, is our blessing and our inheritance. As a child of God, you can know that at all times, whether they're good or they're hard or they're bad or they're easy, God is working on your behalf and for your good. At the beginning of the message today, I told you that it was a blessing to worship in God's presence with you. This is what I'm talking about. What we enjoy as a body of Christ is a blessing. We have full access to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, every moment of every day. And then a few times a week through our life groups, through other ministries, we get to experience God again corporately together. James in this passage by saying that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And we experience that through one another and directly from God every week. We have testimonies about God's goodness, His faithfulness every week listen I, I want you to i want you to get this in your brain for a moment because when i say that this is our blessing you might go like really that's it this, this is all i get i want you to think for a moment that the god that spoke the universe into being the god who sent his son to die for me for my sins the God who knitted you together in your mother's womb, who knows your innermost being. The God that Isaiah stood before, the seraphim were there, these big six-winged angels who were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah said, woe is me, because he believed he would die. That God lives in us. That is our blessing. 
That's what it means to be hashtag blessed. It's not about cars. It's not about money. It's not about having a stress-free life. It's about the fact that no matter what is going on, God is in me. And I am not alone. This is our blessing. Life is hard sometimes. And the way we endure it is by remembering that there is something greater at stake than our comfort. God has called us. He has made us co-heirs with Christ. He has said, you are my beloved. And I love you so much that I will give everything that I have for your sake. Do you realize how lame, how ridiculous it would be or it is to compare the God living in me with some stuff houses, the cars, the money, the toys, the home automation. It's stupid compared to a holy God who has chosen to live in me and to live in you. James is saying to the church, I know that life is hard right now, but this is not the end. Be patient and endure because I am with you. I am with you now, and I will be with you forever. Church, life may be hard for you right now. Life may be difficult. But you are not alone. And I want to say today, if you do not have a relationship with God, if I've talked about that and you say, well, I don't, I don't feel those things, and I don't know what you're talking about, please come see me. Because God has made himself available to all of us. He loves his people. Let's pray. Father, it is my, my desire and my prayer that if there's any in this room who do not, do not know you personally, Father, that you'd give them the courage this, today to talk to somebody, whether it's me or somebody else in this building. God, I ask that this week that you would reorient all of our hearts towards you. Father, that the things that distract us from you, the, the, the stuff, would become second, third, fourth, fifth place in our lives compared to you and what you're doing around us. Father, I'm so thankful for the testimony today of you being made known among your people through this body. Father, it's my desire that all of us, myself included, would, would get a fresh look at who you are and how much you love us this week. God, that as we kind of live in this message that you have for us, that we would come to realize in a more substantial way this week than we ever have before, the blessing it is to be one with you. Father, I ask that in this moment as we close out in worship, Lord, that you would make your spirit so tangible in this word. Father, that you would remind us of the greatness of who you are. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.